It's June 15th, 2019, and this is episode 9 of It Started in Hendricksville, Stories by Jerry Abram. All right, well, good morning, Dad. How are you today? I'm okay. All right, well, this is about take four for today on trying to get this recorded, so... We're going to go again and see if we can get through it this time. Um, so, Dad, uh, last week we talked about all your cars uh, and trucks and motorcycles and a little bit about racing. Um, and this, this week we're going to change and uh, start talking about uh, a little bit about music. And uh, music's been a big part of your life and a big part of your dad's life. Um, and so we want to start out by going uh, back to talk about your dad, Roswell Abram, and, and his history with music. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how he got started in music um, and, and what all he did with his music in terms of, I know he led songs at church and things like that. Back years ago when Dad was a young man, very young, uh, Lonnie Isom led the singing at Liberty Church where we all went, all of us. And uh, Lonnie was getting a lot of years on him and... Uh, knew that they was going to have to have another song leader. Well, he wanted Dad to take this over. So Dad started working with Lonnie, learned how to read uh, shape notes, how to find the uh, right key to start songs with, with a pitch pipe. Okay. And uh, Lonnie taught him a lot of things. And Lonnie also, at this time, was working with a lot of the young people in the area, teaching them how to sing with shape notes and how to sing harmony. And so Dad went ahead and took that over, and he started teaching several of the young people. And uh, from there, it just came on up. Uh, Lonnie's son, which was Max Isom, also helped with the song leading at the time that Dad was working with it, too. And uh, then, of course, down through the channel of life and uh, family, Max, uh, Lonnie was the one that started Dad. Max was Lonnie's son. Okay. Then, uh, when we were singing with the Countryman, mm-hmm. Max's grandson, which was Ronnie Freeman, uh, sang with me in the Countryman. Okay, he was all right. A tenor so that's singer. the whole connection. So, so you you got that long history with them. So you had Lonnie, and then Max, and then Max's daughter was Betty, mm-hmm. um, which I remember Betty singing at church. Yeah, uh, it was Ronnie's mother, and that was Ron's mother. And then Ron sings, and I think does Ron still sing some? I think he might. Uh, um, but you and Ron both sang for years and years. Yeah. So. yeah for a long okay. Time. Um, so I want to go back. Uh, I I did not, or I was not aware of your dad doing uh, work with other young people when he would try to when he was trying to get to teach young people about music and how to read shape notes and those kinds of things. Where did they do that at? Did they do it in his home or yeah, just at the home? So so he'd ha- he'd have uh, these They'd people come, come in, in his there. Home. Yeah. Oh, and uh, what he would do, uh, he would select by the uh, tone of their voice which part would fit them okay. out of four parts. Uh-huh. Then he would go over that with nothing else around it, just that one part through the song with the person. And he'd do this several times, and then they would go through it with him, and he'd get it where they had it. Then he would bring another part in and do the same thing. Then he would put those two parts together and it's, they stumbled with it a little for a little while, and then right. it got to sounding better, and they done real well, and that's the way he taught these okay. kids. Huh. So now as you, um, 
uh, started getting old enough to sing. Um, you told us that when you were quite young, they, your dad liked you to sing. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I was probably in, uh, uh, we moved to the county line over there where dad built that little new house when I was two. So I would have been three, maybe four years old. Okay. Dad always had a couple of songs he wanted me to sing. I'm a Little Teapot was one of them, and the other one was uh, uh, Daisy Daisy. And uh, uh, there was three of them. I can't remember what the other one was, but I'd be out playing with the other kids, just having a big time, you know. And Dad'd come out on the porch say, Jerry, come in here. They want to hear you sing. And I just made me sick inside because I wanted to play. You weren't very excited so about he'd that. he'd take me in there and stand me up on the table. Oh my! Stand up on the table, and I went through a, an act with the little. Uh -huh. I'm a little teapot. So, so did you have uh, like arm motions and yeah. things you did with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, he didn't have any idea how much I didn't want to do yeah, that, sure. or he yeah. wouldn't have done. Yeah. But anyway, it was okay. But uh, okay, and so then as you started beyond that, you got a little older, and you got where you started learning the shape notes and learning the harmonies yes. and those types of things. Um, and then you said maybe you, one of your sisters, uh, Virginia, and maybe a couple other sisters also learned music through this yeah. process. So did you guys sing as a family at home ever? Not really. Not uh, too The much. girls, I would sing a little bit with, uh, Virginia could uh, play uh, chords on a guitar. Oh, really? So she'd take that guitar. I guess I'd never heard yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, and I know... Uh, when I was a lad, an old Shep was a pup. Have you heard that song? No. Well, probably the saddest song you ever heard in your life. Uh -huh. And those girls, Virginia and Helen and all of them, found out that when they'd sing that to me, I'd cry. So every time they could get me oh, in the house where I couldn't leave, they'd start singing that song, and I'd start crying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a life better to be, feel terrible for you for that. So, Okay, so... Um, so then at some point along in there, or maybe all along in there, your dad um, started getting more involved in creating, so, so all of these, all this church music was four-part harmony, mm -hmm. and so then he started creating small little quartets or groups. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about why they did that and, and what they did with it. So Okay, and uh, some of the younger people that he was working with uh, the boys were coming into the age to be drafted into the service okay. for World War II. All right. Okay. Dad and Bernard Hudson, which was Dad's nephew, it was Vivian's boy, and Robert Isom, which okay. goes back to the other bunch of Isoms. It's Max's boy, Betty's brother. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, Bernard and Robert both went to the service. Okay. And uh, then Winford Abrams sang with them, and they had this quartet and done some recording. They uh, really? actually recorded some of the old records, the 33 and 30, I think they really? were. Really? Yeah. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wish I had one of those yet, and there is a few of them around, but I don't know where they are. But anyway, they did have quite a bit of that, and uh, when, uh, of course, when the war took the two guys out there. That was the end of that quartet. Uh -huh. But Dad had some other guys that stepped in and helped him so they could still sing at funerals and stuff like that while those guys were in the service. And okay. It was in the war, actually. But uh, both of them made it back home. 
And uh, when they got back, they went ahead then and sang some more <laughs> after they come back from World War II. Yeah, so singing, singing was a big part of his life and, and your life. So then over the years, um, he did a lot of leading at the church, a lot of song leading at church. So tell us a little bit about how that happened, that he became, uh, I think, maybe the main song leader at church. Well, and by church, I'm saying the Liberty Church of Christ that you grew up in. So, Well, uh, Dad uh, got into that because Lonnie Isom wanted to put him into it because Lonnie was getting old enough he was about to give it up. Okay. And uh, Max had such a high voice, it was hard for him to sing lead, but he could lead and did and help Dad some, but Dad became the main one okay. through all of that, and he just finally got to where he was the only song leader they had. So that went on then for a lot of years. So, so then he, people would call him up for what kinds of events and things to do? Yeah, they'd and, call and took, him for a funeral or for a wedding or for a reunion or whatever. Or whatever they wanted, yeah. And, yeah. and I can remember as a little boy a few times, uh, different groups you were in and things, where we did kind of the same thing. We'd be at some kind of a little get-together or party, and, you know, someone would... would take a pause and we'd all gather around and somebody would sing a few songs or mm -hmm. a quartet would sing a few yeah. songs. So, okay. Um, so, uh, transitioned you growing up just a little bit and uh, um, I'm getting lost here on my notes here. Oh, no, getting back to the funerals and things like that. At, at a point in there, um, Ron Freeman, who was the grandson or great-grandson of the no great-grandson of, of Lonnie of Lonnie that taught your dad how to, mm -hmm. to sing him and you and then your son Nat my brother and then Stevie Ham you guys got together and decided to create a quartet mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about the history of that yeah well uh, it all came around one night we just thought we would try it just to see if we could make four parts Stevie had a real good lead voice, mm -hmm. and he done very well with it. And of course, Ronnie sang tenor, mm -hmm. and mainly because his granddad Max had also sang tenor okay. all of his life. So, so that was part of their family. And, yeah. then his, so, well, and then unusually, his mom sang tenor, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So, so that was a very yeah. unusual thing, but she did that as long as I knew her. So. But then another thing that came into the picture, Ronnie and Steve Ham were brother-in-laws. Because oh, Ronnie married Steve's sister. Okay, yes, yeah, so there's Ruth a family Ellen. connection yeah. there. All right. So, uh, but then that's when we started out, and then I got a hold of uh, Dave Jackson mm -hmm. and Danny, and at that time, Danny's wife, Kathy, played the piano. So she came here to our house. We had a piano, and uh, we'd done a few songs with that, and then... Uh, Dave and Danny both said, you know, you ought to come where we're practicing some night with our band and do a song or two, which we did. And it wasn't very long, so we went right on into that and formed the countrymen. Okay. And you know, that's interesting. I remember very well sitting in that old, the, the original cabin part of our house. I remember the night, the first night that Dave and Danny came mm -hmm. and you guys uh, played music. So yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that brings back old memories for me. So. You created the Countryman, and um, I do remember when you first started that, there was some discussion about kind of carrying on the legacy of your dad where you would do funerals and things like that. But pretty quickly, you guys transitioned to doing more of a more, I would say, more uh, modern type of a show. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me maybe a little bit about how did you guys decide to, to go from just singing a quartet to 
now you're you're getting more structured and you're actually going to create shows and and you know and, and actually you never made a lot of money but you make a little bit of money doing well, it. Well, the demand uh, people was wanting us to come and sing for. Uh huh. And the demand got greater and we tried to do a little better all the time and did and see Dave Jackson was super on a steel guitar. Mm -hmm. Danny was our drummer. Uh, Tommy Kincher was uh, played the lead guitar yep. for us. Remember Tommy? And Tommy has since passed away. And then uh, Gary Newton mm -hmm. sang with us, and we've lost Gary. Mm -hmm. He's gone now. Then Chet Maynard played the bass for us. Yep. And Chet and Doris both sang with us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they were almost. They had been kind of a little band on their own at some point. Well, and, yeah. Almost. And then they kind of joined in with you mm -hmm. guys, or however that worked out. So. But. Uh, that's where it all started, and uh, then we went ahead, and uh, I inherited just a few dollars from uh, some friends of mine and when he passed away, and I wanted to do something with that for all of us, so I paid for, and we recorded an album. Okay. And, uh, that's where it all I, came about. I had forgotten about that's how that happened, but yeah, yeah you went over to Nashville, Indiana mm -hmm. and recorded that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's still a bunch of those albums around here. Oh, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Don Sheets done the recording for us at uh, Nashville. Mm -hmm. He had a recording studio. I'd and forgotten that name, but I do remember. Sold that an name. awful lot of those albums. Um. So the uh, um. Tell me some of the highlights from the Countryman. Um, you got, over the years, you guys did um, I would say a handful of kind of big shows. Yeah. And uh, so tell us a little bit about kind of the most memorable shows for you, the most maybe some of the most enjoyable ones or the things that really stood out to you. Uh, we done a front runner job down at uh, Linton. Well, it was actually at the school down there uh, between, uh, it was a Swiss city between Linton yep. and Bloomfield. Yep. Bill Anderson was coming in there for the show and he didn't have any front runner. And so uh, he called and got hooked up with him, so we done that show with Bill Anderson as a front runner. And so, for for particularly some of the young people, they could look up Bill Anderson on on iTunes, and, and I'm sure his music's all on there because everyone's music's on there. Um, but what were what was his kind of claim to fame? He had a few real famous songs, if I remember right. Well, I don't, I can't remember now what they were. Uh, I was trying to remember. Bill was called him Whispering Bill. Was, that's, that's what I was trying to remember. He was kind of known as Whispering Bill Anderson. Yeah. And uh, he sang kind of like, uh, I don't know, they weren't really love songs, but they were kind of yeah. softer country songs. Um, but he was quite the famous. And he had yeah. a soft voice, mm -hmm. but he sung, he's done well. And then, of course, Bobby Helms, uh, you knew everybody, I think, would remember Bobby and all of his recordings. Your bear hunting friend. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, bear hunting, what, third cousin or something like that? He's related to you. Okay. So, uh, Bob's mother uh -huh. is a full cousin to me. Okay. So, he's just second cousin second to you. Cousin. So, anyway. So, yeah. But, yeah, you're starting to say about Bobby Helms. You guys did a show well, with him. He had a time, show right? out at uh, IU Auditorium. Okay. So, uh, we went and sang on that show as a front mm -hmm. runner and the Walcott family sang with us too there. I forgot that they were with you, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, so so to, just to kind of catch up people again, mom's nieces and nephews, her brother's kids, had the Walcott family, sure. which was a bluegrass group, so, um, and 
you know, bluegrass and country to us were dramatically different music to a lot of people. They think of those as being kind of similar, yeah. but to us, those were very different things. But they, uh, they also played a lot of shows and they and, did. And they had a good band. Played a lot of Real music. Good yeah. band. All right. Well, very good. So, so as as time goes on, the countrymen um, came and then it went away, and then you transitioned into another quartet. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, our people. Uh, Nat and, and Ron, all of them, they start, when they started having their families, it just became too much because we'd practice one or two nights a week. Mm -hmm. I remember you practiced two nights a week, most weeks. And yeah. uh, it just got to be too much, and so we just finally decided to give it up, and we did. And so when we give it up, then uh, uh, Lloyd Smith and I had sang together with Dad and Bob in a okay. quartet, so Lloyd got interested in it, and his Two of his daughters was teaching music at that time at Edgewood. Okay. So uh, Valerie and Pam both joined in with us, with me and Lloyd, and then we picked up Amy. Mm -hmm. It was Amy Kramer at that time. It's now Amy Phillips. Yep. And we had a quintet, a cappella, didn't use any instruments, and we sang at uh, different things, just like I said, a funeral occasionally, mm -hmm. and then we sang at the nursing home at Ellettsville. Okay. Uh, once a month. Great. And uh, we done reunions. They had a big reunion out on Brummett's Creek Road out there. And uh, every year the family did, and we always sang at that, and just different places like that. And uh, and then I, I'm looking at my notes here. I'm going to step back a little bit in time. So you had the Countryman. In between the Countryman and Richland Valley, you also were in the Woodsman for a little while. Yes. And now, was Lloyd Smith in that? Yes. What I thought the same person. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, Lloyd was in that with us. And then his son-in-law, Dennis Waterford, sang lead. Oh, that's us. right. Yeah, I remember Dennis. Yeah. Lloyd and Dennis. Bruce, uh, huh, Gallion, uh -huh. sang bass, and I sang baritone. In and, that and, and did all three of them go to church together at the Richland Church of Christ? Yeah. So they were all friends or... All and that's where we came up with the name, the Richland Valley. Singers. Okay, okay. That's little, how that, when you started that next group, you call them Richland Valley because most of the people in the group were from Richland Church. Yeah. Okay, uh, I didn't The know church that. was right along the creek, so we always called it Richland yeah, Valley. Yeah, yeah, I didn't actually ever realize that. Okay, great. Okay, so um, that kind of gets us all the way up through the history of music. I'm trying to think if there's anything I've missed on the music front. Um, I guess one thing that we, that we didn't talk a little bit here, I'm going to step back again, um, is going back to your dad and his music and shape notes. Um, so, because most people listening to this will not have heard or understand when you, you mentioned shape notes earlier about what those mean. Can you tell us a little bit about shape notes and what, what they did? Okay. Uh, it all depends on how you learn to read notes. Uh-huh. But... Uh, it's the fact that we learned on shaped notes, that's what was easy for me because each note all the way through the scale had a different shape. Well, the other notes that are all round uh -huh. was on different lines of your five lines of your staff. Traditional music. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But these were on the, in the same places, but they were also shaped. So you didn't have to try to see what line it was on. You, with the shape of the note, you knew what the... Now, if I remember right, that all changed by the key of the song, though. So if it was in, like, the key of G, 
a certain shape would be a G. But if it was in the key of C, that same shape might be a C. Wasn't it something like that with the shape notes? No, the notes were always the same. They would just, where they were located on your lines, uh -huh. on your staff, designated the key. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So, uh, yeah. For instance, the first note, Do, uh -huh. was a triangle. That's okay. That's it. So, so Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. Uh -huh. Do would always be a triangle. Yeah. Okay. It would always be the same, and but, you know, in the key of A, it would be on one line. Yeah. But if it was in the key of G, it would be on another yes. line. Yes. Okay, that's and what so, I thought. All right. Yeah. But still, when you took off on the song, you knew what to sing by the shape of the note. So you could look at the shape of the note and you'd know whether that was do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, sure. or whatever. Uh -huh. And then from that shape, you, you'd know the key of the song and then you yeah. could find that note mm -hmm. and work from there. Which I always, it, as a little kid, it always confused me because you would blow a note and you go do, and then you'd say do, 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 and then sometimes you'd go do, and you'd sing some just bizarro note. Yeah. And that was the starting note of the song, and I always thought, how in the world do you know what you're doing? But, <laughs> but you would read those shape notes and know how to do that, which I was always impressed with. So, okay, well, that's great. Um, well, I think that's kind of uh, covered the music pretty well. Um, and we've got a few more minutes here, so I want to switch gears and go to a completely different topic um, that we can cover in the last 10 minutes, and that is um, back, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago before we started one of our podcasts, we were talking about, um, uh, and this is a re religious-related thing, we started talking about your history of Masonic Lodge. been a big part of your life. And you were telling me about how you got connected to the Masonic Lodge through, I think, a gentleman named Smoltz. Yeah. And um, so, could you tell us a little bit about that history of the Masonic Lodge and how you got, how he got you introduced to that, and then uh, kind of over the years, what what that's uh, all the things you've done with the Masonic Lodge because yeah. you've done a lot. So, well, um, to begin with, I was wanting to go big game hunting out west. Okay. Uh, of course, you've got to start somewhere. So uh, I started by buying a new rifle when from the small department store. Okay. Uh, 270 Winchester that I still have and uh, so Jim Smaltz being a friend of ours the way he became a friend was my wife Marie then Fid which was his wife's hair for several years okay. so mm -hmm. through their connection is how I got connected with Jim and he said sure I'll be glad to sell you a rifle he said I'll take you out to my range and we'll shoot and show mm -hmm. you how to you know, how everything works on that and how to get long distance shots and all that, uh, which he did. And then he knew we was wanting to go big game hunting. There was uh, a girl named June that uh, went to beauty school with Marie. Mm -hmm. Her husband was Lloyd Graham. Okay. Well, Lloyd wanted to go with us on that trip. Uh-huh. So, which he did, and Randy went. And okay. so the three of us, Jim hooked us up with his guide that he had in Colorado. Uh -huh. And so we went out there and uh, that's where I got my antelope and a mule deer right. on that one trip. And uh, Randy got a deer, but he didn't get an antelope, but Lloyd got an antelope okay. and a deer. So uh, what's the connection then back to the Masonic Lodge in all this? Okay, through all this, of course, Jim was a Mason. Okay, he was. Yeah, right. and Lloyd was a Mason. Okay. 
So I just uh, okay. So so two of the key people you were connected with were already a part of the lodge. Yeah, okay. and I just got to asking questions mm -hmm. about it. Of course, uh, Donald Abram, which straight across the road from us, where I grew up, he was in the Masonic Lodge, and at one time was the master of the little lodge there at Salisbury. Okay. So always I was just kind of interested. Right. And in your dad was not involved with it, no. so you didn't have that connection that way. No, and so dad you, was you... never involved with it. Uh huh. Uh, Dad always had the attitude, said if it was uh, good, it, would, it wouldn't be a secret. A secret, yeah. yeah there's a lot of people. <laughs> but that, yeah. you know, a lot yeah. of people had that. But anyhow, I really got into it and studied it and found out what the deal was on it. And I enjoyed it. And uh, it made a better person out of me, made a better Christian out of me, especially to help other people. And that's one of the big things in, uh -huh. the, Masonic, in the Masonic Lodge is help for other people. The only thing, when they, when they do help other people, nobody ever knows it. A lot of people people don't even know where the money comes from. Right. They don't right. blow our home. Kind of quiet about it, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the Masonic Lodge is connected into the Shriners, and so then you've got the, the well-known Shriners Hospital, I think over at Terre Haute, the Burn, Burn Center maybe it is, or maybe just a hospital, I can't remember. But, yeah. um, but, but, but that's also part of all this. Yeah, so. it's all part of the Masonic Lodge, and then... Later on, Nat and myself and Joe all went through the uh, Scottish Rite. Yeah, so I wanted to ask, because I'm not a part of the Sonic Lodge, so I don't know the details. Tell me a little bit about these different levels that you went through over the years and what you accomplished as a part of that. Okay. When you go into the Blue Lodge, uh, which is just the standard Masonic Lodge uh -huh. called the Blue Lodge, there's three degrees. And once you get your master's degree in that, that's you're as much a mason as you'll ever be. Okay. However, when you go on into these other degrees, you just learn a lot more about it. You okay. know, and how it all started back when King Solomon's Temple was built and through all that. So it's all connected back to the Old Testament yeah. and the building of Solomon's Temple, which was, I, I get my story's a little confused here, but that's around King David's time, I believe. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, but anyway... Uh, I went ahead and uh, became a 32nd degree, and there's there's a lot of them, but not near as many as they are just standard nations. Mm -hmm. And uh, just uh, this past year, I got my uh, gold certificate for being in 50 years. Oh, wow. All right. I See, mm -hmm. now. Something like, yeah, that's really, years not, not too many people get to and, do that, so. And there's still a lot of people that frown on it. And I've oh, yeah. got a sister-in-law that just swears it's a cult. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, that's okay. That's the, that's the way life is. So um, tell me, over the years, I can remember a number of instances where you being a part of that opened up doors. It's, it's like any social thing. It opened up doors for you to get connections to help, help us out. I remember um, a great story when we were on vacation out near Pikes Peak mm -hmm. um, that there was a connection because of the Masonic Lodge that helped us out. So, Well, uh, we was going to uh, Grand Canyon. And we also went to Pikes Peak and several places. We come into a town in uh, Colorado and was going to get a motel that night. So anyway, we went to this motel and uh, they said the biggest rodeo in the U.S. is here in town and it's going to be, it's going to perform tonight. So said it's many, many miles in any direction you cannot get a motel. Okay. So anyhow, in talking to these people, 
this uh, guy in a minute reached over. I, I just had my hands up on the counter. He reached over and touched my ring. Uh-huh. And he said, You're a Masonic ring. You're a Masonic ring. And he said, Now, uh, just wait a minute. Let me do a little checking here. So uh, he was gone for a little bit. I, I could hear him in there. I'm guessing he was on the phone. But anyhow, he come back and he said, uh, that ring you're wearing changed a lot of things. He said, uh, I've got you a room for you and your family. Mm -hmm. And he said, also, I've got uh, free tickets for you to the rodeo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's just things like that. Uh, he opened some doors. And it's it, it, like uh, like any fraternity, I guess, yeah, in a sense. So, you, know, that's, you try to help each other out when you can, and that's what he did for you. And, right. Yeah, and, and I remember, uh, you know, just as a young boy, that that had a huge impact on me. I didn't know that story, but getting to go to that rodeo, oh, it, yeah. it was, uh, I, I still can clearly remember several things that happened the evening the of the rodeo. the actual sons of the pioneers sang at uh -huh. that rodeo. They were there. Yeah. yeah, they yeah. were there. Yeah, it was, a, it yeah, was it really was quite, quite a, a rodeo. Good, quite a good time. All right. Well, Dad, I think that's good enough for this week. So um, for anybody listening to this on the podcast, uh, this is episode nine. And uh, we're going to be gathering up uh, one more round of thoughts to do episode 10. So uh, if you listen to this and you've got something that you want uh, Jerry, my dad, to address before we wrap up episode 10, why get a hold of me and we'll try to um, cover that next week. Um, besides that, have a good week, Dad. And uh, it's pouring the rain right now. And uh, we will talk to you in the next week or so. Thank you, Quinn. I've enjoyed it.